morning, church. Uh, as Joel mentioned, the passage that I'll be going over today is found in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, you've had time to flip there, but I'll also give you some more time to flip there. I, I just give you a clue just in the Old Testament, but uh, if you're not familiar where, where that is, just go into the table of contents in the beginning of your Bible. Just find the book of Daniel. So, so while you're flipping there, I'll just share a real quick story. Um, this is actually going to be a personal story. So uh, I, I played a lot of sports growing up, but I'd never come across the sport of boxing until college. So, so the college I went to is a military school, and so every student is required to take a boxing class. And I just enjoyed it so much. I was like, hey, how about you just stick with it as a sport? So that was my decision. And so um, after I got it, had a year of uh, playing a sport under my belt, it was my senior year, and a uh, sophomore wanted to come spar me. He was just learning the sport. He, he wanted to spar and just get to know, learn the tricks of the trade and things of that nature. I mean, of course, I only have a year under my belt. It's not like I knew a whole lot. But in my mind, I figured, dude, I'm going to destroy this guy, right? <laughs> now, both of us were heavyweights, right? He was taller than me. He had a longer reach than me. But still, although both of us were heavyweights, I outweighed him by a bit. So I figured this, this is going to be easy. Plus, I'm a senior, right? Senior always... Uh, it's better at everything than sophomores, right? To include pride and all that stuff. So, so we sparred. <laughs> here's, here's, here's the tricky part, right? Uh, so that particular day for practice, I forgot my mouthpiece, right? And so mouthpiece is pretty important, right? Uh, just a little foreshadowing, right? So this mouthpiece, it, it does a couple things in sports. But one is that it just absorbs the contact that you, that you take especially from boxing, you know, hitting in the head. The other is, if you ever saw my grill, right, my face, my teeth, and it's probably hard in the day, day and age of COVID, we're always wearing masks, but my two front teeth are chipped. Happened from two separate incidents when I was a kid. Uh, one of my te teeth, tooth, is uh, more gnarly and, and jagged than the other. I never got it fixed because I don't care. I don't care about that stuff, right? <laughs> but I was not wearing my mouthpiece this time. But in the back of my mind, in the back of my head, this is what I was saying. I was, I was saying, this guy, this sophomore, right, he will not hit me in the face. Now, you don't even have to be familiar with the sport of boxing or knowing all the rules and all that stuff to realize that the primary objective in boxing, right, is take your fists and to pummel your opponent in the face <laughs> as often as you can and as hard as you can, right? You get like, you know, brownie point, man points for knocking somebody out, right? But in my mind, I was like, he's not going to hit me in the face because I'm that good. So we go sparring for a few rounds. The first few rounds, you know, you know, you know I'm, I'm doing pretty good. He's not really hitting me. When I say hit in the face, you're always getting hit in the face. So I mean like a direct, uh, non-glanced uh, blow. So, so he's not hitting me. I'm doing pretty good. We go to make it to the last round, towards the end of the last round. And he just clobbers me. He, he, he catches me. <laughs> my lip got caught on my tooth and totally ripped. <laughs> Blood went everywhere, all over my shirt. And every... Very humiliating, right? Because this sophomore just bloodied a senior. And it was pretty gruesome. <laughs> also, I had some serious stitches I had to put in my mouth and my lip because of that. Now, I'll tell you the story because what was my problem, right? Thank you. <laughs> if you guys didn't hear that, it was pride, right? 
Pride was my issue. Also not wearing a mouthpiece, but pride was my issue. This morning, we'll look at pride in a great king called Nebuchadnezzar. We also look at pride in our own lives, in our own hearts, because the funny thing about pride is that it's, all, it's always easier to spot in somebody else. It's so hard to see in our own life, in our own heart. We can easily put it out in somebody else, but when it comes to our, ourselves, prideful? I'm not prideful. Until that day of humiliation comes. So, that being said, please stand with me as I read just a portion of Daniel chapter 4. I will read the entire chapter, but not while you guys are standing. Starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Skipping to verse 34. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me, my majesty and splendor returned to me. For the glory of my kingdom, my advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom, and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens, because of all his works are true, and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Please be seated. Now, we as a church, we're not actually going through the book of Daniel, so just jumping in the middle of a story, we're actually starting not only in a new book, Daniel, but also in chapter 4. So let's just take a moment to say, you know, spread some context around what we just read. There's a quick history lesson, right? So the first king of Israel, all right, his name was Saul. He died. The next king of Israel was David. He died. He had a son. Went on to Solomon. He became king of Israel. You get the pattern. He died, and his son, Rehoboam, he became the next king of Israel. Now, out of all those kings I just mentioned, the kingdom of Israel was like what we call a united kingdom. There's one gigantic nation. But under the reign of Rehoboam, there became some uh, uh, revolt, revolting, dispute under his reign. And the kingdom of Israel split into two separate nations, two kingdoms. You have the kingdom in the north, called the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom in the south, called the kingdom of Judah. They had their own kings ruling over each of those kingdoms. Now, the kingdom of Israel in the north, they tried to follow God, and for a period of time, over time, they began to uh, deny God, walk away from him, rebel against God. God sent prophets to them and warned them. They did not listen to the warnings of God, and they continued to rebel, rebel against God's word, So God judged them through the army, through the kingdom of Assyria. They came and conquered the kingdom in the north, kingdom of Israel. 
actually took the people away, and actually you never hear them again. If you ever come across the phrase, uh, the lost tribes of Israel, that's the kingdom to the north, kingdom of Israel. So those are 10, 12 tribes total, 10 were in the north. They're gone. Then you have the southern kingdom, kingdom of Judah. The tribes of Benjamin and Judah there. All right, they follow God. They follow God longer than the kingdom to the north, but they themselves eventually turn away from God and reject his ways, right? God sends them prophets. God is always gracious, right? He sends them prophets. They reject the prophets. They turn a blind eye, blind ear to God's word. So God eventually judges them and conquers them through an army from Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, right? Takes them away into captivity. So that's where we see this story of Daniel take place. King Nebuchadnezzar, he is the ruler of this kingdom. Now, just to give you just a quick resume on King Nebuchadnezzar, he's a pretty uh, famous, pretty uh, powerful, out of all the ancient rulers, all right, he is one of the best, one of the greatest. Let me just quickly go, go over a few highlights. So with King Nebuchadnezzar, one thing is that, arguably, he's the first person to establish a museum in the world, first person to create a museum. So out of all the nations and peoples that he conquered, who bring back their heritage, their relics, etc., and, and keep them as a history lesson. Not only that, but also, all right, so the kingdom of Babylon, the capital city is called Babylon. He had a wall, city wall, around the, the entire city. That wall around the city ran for about 56 miles. 56 miles. It was huge, it was tall, it was wide. It was so wide that on the top of the wall, you could actually have chariot races on the top. Another thing on his resume, right? Part of that wall, there's many gates along that wall. One of the gates was the eighth gate. It's called the Gate of Ishtar. It's a beautiful, elaborate gate. It was adorned with animals and, and goddesses and, and deities on the uh, gate itself. As a matter of fact, on that gate, it was or, ornate with blue glazed rock. As a matter of fact, you just Google it. Do not do it now, but just Google the Ishtar Gate. There's actually replicas in museums right now, and it's just gorgeous, beautiful. Actually, that gate used to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was eventually demoted. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he had one more, one more uh, ancient wonder. So some of you guys may have heard of the Hanging Gardens, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar, his wife was from a foreign land. She was always homesick. So in, in order to help her being homesick, I was like, ah, I got a great idea. How about I bring your home to me, all right? So he just made this gigantic, elaborate garden of all the trees, vegetations, fruits, etc., that her, his wife loved so that she could never be homesick. It was gorgeous, beautiful. Again, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Now, that's just a short snippet of the resume of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a great guy, very powerful. But get this, he was humbled, humbled by God, and he has a message for you today. As a matter of fact, God, through King Nebuchadnezzar, has a message for you today about pride. You know, this story about King Nebuchadnezzar, I've always liked it since a kid, because one of the great things about it is that it's a story of every man. 
Not in the sense that every man's a ruler has a great resume, but every one of us struggle with pride. And every one of us is blinded by the pride in our own hearts. So it's very easy, like I said, when you hear this story and read it, to say, hey, that fool, <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar, he got it so wrong. We're not even looking at ourselves, how we have it so wrong. So with that being said, let me read the full chapter, Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I had a dream, and it frightened me while in my bed. The images and visions in my mind alarmed me. So I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. When the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners came in, I told them the dream, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Finally, Daniel, named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him, came before me. I told him the dream, Belshazzar, head of the magicians, because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods, that no mystery puzzles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation. In the visions of my mind, as I was lying in bed, I saw this. There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. The tree grew large and strong. Its tops reached to the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw in the vision of my mind a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called out loudly, cut down the tree and chop off its branches, trip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it and the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share, and share the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a human. Let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This word is by decree of the watchers, and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Balthazar, tell me the interpretation, because none of my wise men of my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me. But you can, because you have a spirit of the holy God. Then Daniel, whose name is Balthazar, was stunned for a moment, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king said, Balthazar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Balthazar answered, my lord, May the dream apply to those who you hate, who hate you, and its interpretation to your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, whose tops reached the sky and was visible to the whole earth, and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals lived, and its branches, the, wild, the birds of the sky lived. That tree is you. Your majesty, 
For you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and its roots in the ground, with a band of iron and bronze around it, and the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree of the Most High that has been issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people to live with wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. As for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence? by my vast power and for my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals, and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against, King, against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew e like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me, and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and my nobles sought me out. I was established over my kingdom, and even more greatness came to me. Now I... Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of heavens, because all his works are true, and his ways are just. He's able to humble those who walk in pride. Amen. Now, of course, that was a long reading. Thank you. But if you just got the gist of it, right, it's pretty straightforward. There's a great a majestic king. He's filled with pride. God warns him. God shows him grace through a dream. He can't interpret the dream, so he gets Daniel, who knows God. Hey, can you interpret this dream for me? So Daniel does that, and God shows grace again through Daniel by warning him, saying, hey, turn away from your evil ways. Twelve months later, a year goes by. That's another showing of God's grace that length of time before judgment. He's talking about himself, King Nebuchadnezzar, and boom, God judges him. 
He gets driven away from his kingdom. Then at one point, he recognizes that God is ruler over all, not himself. And then God shows another sign of grace. (laughs) He gives him back not only his kingdom, but he becomes more powerful than he was before. Are you kidding? I mean, mean, talk about God. Forget about King Nebuchadnezzar. Talk about God and his mercy and his grace. I think King Nebuchadnezzar, he sends out a letter, a proclamation, to everyone who's under his control, and guess what? To everyone who reads the Bible. It's to us as well. That God and his kingdom will last forever. He is the one who's in control of everything. That's what it means to be sovereign, right? So the main point, if you don't hear anything else from me this morning, please hear this. The main point of this message is this. That if you were to examine your life, just examine your life, the things that you've experienced, the good and the bad, the things that you've accomplished or failed at, your perceived successes and skills, or your perceived deficits, all of that should lead you to praise God. And I say it one more time. Examine your life. What you've accomplished or failed at. What you've done or haven't done. Your perceived skills or your perceived deficits. Examine all of it. And that should, should lead you to praise God. You know, if I were to walk out under the night sky on a clear night and see the moon, if I just hold up my hand at a particular angle, and depending on how close my hand is to my face, I could actually block out the moon from my gaze. Sometimes you can even do it with your thumb in the right conditions, right? I'd be kind of foolish for me to say, therefore, my hand is bigger than the moon, <laughs> right? You guys will look at me and say, you, <laughs> you fool. Do not say that to me, please. But you fool, right? What do you mean your hand is larger than the moon? You're focusing on the wrong thing. You have the wrong perspective. (laughs) But see, that's what pride does. (laughs) It gives you the wrong perspective on life. Pride always forces you to focus on yourself. And therefore, when you focus on yourself, you have to become blind to God's work in your life, to God's hand in your life. So I'm just going to go over two things of how God or how pride blinds you to the work of God in your life. The first is this, that pride blinds you to God's purposes. Pride blinds you to God's purposes. No, no kidding, King Nebuchadnezzar was a great king, right? But, but this is the thing. He assumed that his successes was for his glory. He assumed that what he was achieving in his life was due to his strength, his wisdom, and his ingenuity. Never for a moment did he ever think that I am being used by God for a purpose higher than my own. Actually, before King Nebuchadnezzar was humiliated, this is actually what he says in Scripture. He says this, Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? (laughs) He attributed his success to his hard work. He's making high of his accomplishments. You know, how, how wrong he was, right? And how wrong we are. God was his source of his success. 
In fact, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says. He says this, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is none who can look, block his hand or say to him, What have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens, because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. You know, in the beginning of this passage, Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar refers to himself as king. I am king in Nebuchadnezzar, right? But at the end, that whole king reference drops. He says that God is king. Pastor Joel, thanks for pointing that out to me earlier. God is king, not himself. You know, Growing up, I, I like to uh, memorize poems and stuff like that. And so there's this one particular poem that is, is somewhat popular. It's called Invictus. And it's um, you know, written, or was written by this guy named William Ernest Henley. And part of that poem is, is pretty popular, pretty famous. You may have heard a line. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punish, punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. What is that poem really getting at, right? That it doesn't really matter what this life throws at you, the good or the bad. You are the ultimate determiner of how your life turns out. You are in control of everything. You can determine your successes and failures. It's all up to you. And although that's part of the American ethos, right? It was actually, the poem was actually written by a British guy. But it's part of the American ethos, right? You, like, you can do everything. Everything's up to you. You determine your future. You determine your present. You determine who you are. You are always in control. Rule your own kingdom. I love that poem. <laughs> I loved it. It's great. It's motivating. But guess what else it is? Yeah, yeah, you guys are good. <laughs> it's poisonous, <laughs> you know. It's poisonous. Let me ask you just a few questions, right? In what ways are you making life all about you? In what ways are you making life all about you? In what ways are you intentionally neglecting God? Yes, and I threw in that word intentionally. In what ways are you intentionally neglecting God? When was the last time that you thanked God for anything in your life? <laughs> or forget about God, just thank any, anybody, you know? I know it's pretty popular to think that, you know, whatever successes you had in your life is up to you, but you ever think that somebody changed your diaper growing up? Somebody fed you? Sure, it may, may not have been your parents. But somebody did. Somebody taught you how to read and write. Everything in life was not determined by you. You see, God is sovereign. That just means that God is in control. Recognize that God is sovereign. Seek his will. Repent if you must. So the first point 
What is that? Pride blinds us to God's purposes in our life. The second is this. That pride blinds us to our own sin. Pride blinds us to our own sin. You see Daniel, when he interprets this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel warns the king and shows grace to him. May my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. Now, we all have areas in our life where pride has blinded us to the gaze of God. Pride has blinded us to our own sin. No one's perfect. I get that. Certainly not an excuse either. You see, the interesting thing about pride, again, is that it turns our gaze off of God and onto ourself. And so therefore, your assessment of life or what's right and wrong because more important than God's assessment. Your words and interpretation becomes more important than God's words yeah. and interpretation. Your ability, or lack thereof, becomes more important than God's ability. Because again, you're, you're only focusing on yourself, either what you have and can do, or what you don't have and can't do. You know, wasn't that the essence of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden? Sure, God said one thing, but this snake is saying something else. So, so let me just see what's up. Let's, let me assess what he's saying. Also, looking at the fruit <laughs> actually looks pretty good. <laughs> it is useful. It is beautiful. It is something to be eaten, <laughs> right? So therefore, again, they're relying on their own assessment of the situation yeah. and not God's word. Pride has always been in the beginning when it comes to sin. It goes on today. Yeah. And it'll continue to go until Christ comes back. So please look at our own hearts and see where pride, pride rules and reigns where God should. Yeah. You know, the list is long where we take our gaze off of God and put it on ourselves, right? We are too easily convinced by our own limited or even false understanding. We, we may say to ourselves, there's a few things. We may say this. There's no way that I'm hurting anyone else if I do this sin. There's no way I'm hurting anybody else if I indulge in this. Or we could say, how can this be wrong? It seems so right. There's no way that this is wrong. Or we could say, I, I actually deserve this. I deserve this sin. If people only knew what I've gone through in life, they would cut me a break. You know, first, I'll just say a few things, right? I mean, I'm just going to say things that you already know. Sin is not defined by whether or not you hurt anyone else. That's not the definition of sin. Sin is not determined if you can, can figure out why it's wrong. That's also not the definition of sin. Uh, I know why it's wrong, so therefore I should stop. Also, please understand this at the root of all sin. There is no lasting pleasure or reward in sin itself. It is always temporary, yeah. and many times <laughs> the pain of it comes sooner than what you realize. Yeah. There is no lasting reward in sin. Bottom line, sin is a transgression or lack of fulfilling God's law. 
plain and simple. Doesn't matter if you can figure out how or why. God does help us with, with his word. But not always, we don't always know why. Sin is transgression or lack of fulfilling God's law. You know, God is all-knowing. We, we are far from that. We think we know everything in the moment. We think we know why, but we certainly don't. I'm always encouraged by this passage, and the book of Proverbs is also another popular uh, verse to memorize. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. But see, it continues. It says this, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That passage is encouraging you to turn away from your own understanding, turn away from your own assessment, and look to God and his assessment. Trust him, and he will make your path straight. Now, I realize that many of you in this room may say to yourself, you know what, as a matter of fact, Mike, if you knew my life, you would understand that I have nothing to be prideful about. <laughs> I have nothing to be prideful about. Life has not gone my way. I do not have this or that. Again, I'll say the same thing that I said in the beginning. The main point of this message, please take this away, is that if you were to examine your life, your experiences, what you have, also what you do not have, what you've accomplished and what you failed at, your perceived skills and perceived deficits, all of that, the plus and the minus, should lead you to praise God. So it doesn't matter if you don't have this or that. That should still lead you to praise and look towards God. Because again, pride always makes the focus on yourself. You know, death is kind of a strange thing it uh, always has a way of um, re- recalibrating, making you have a better view of life itself, you know? Death puts a different perspective on life. At funerals, you know, it's pretty, generally speaking, it's pretty you know, unaccepted, inappropriate to go over a person's resume at a funeral, right? Because it doesn't fit. I mean, yeah, that's what you live for, from sun up to sun down, but then when you die, people aren't looking to hear, oh, let me just hear this person's resume, right? People don't talk about that. But what do people generally talk about? They, they try to figure out, what did this person live for? Who did this person live for? Uh, 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 why was their life valuable and impactful? Sure, that can include some things that a person has done, but it's weird how we live to build up a resume, but in the end, that's not what people want to hear about when you pass. Same thing when we stand before God. Who did you live for? What kingdom did you spend a lifetime establishing? Who did you serve and who did you love? Yes, it's primarily God, His Son, Jesus Christ. That shows itself by living for others. But primarily, <laughs> who did you live for? Who did you trust? Did you place your faith in Jesus Christ? Did you live for him? Did you make much for him? Yeah. Did you bring glory to him and his kingdom? 
Or did you live life for yourself? Also, in the end, we all know, standing before God, a resume is not going to mean anything. Right? It's either you have Christ or you don't. So do not get wrapped around the axle of what you have or don't have in this life. The other is this. We all have past failures. We all have things in our life where, hey, if we could do it all over again, we'd do things differently, right? But don't let past failures keep you from pressing forward under the powerful grace of Jesus Christ. Do not let your past failures keep you from pressing forward under the powerful grace of Jesus Christ. We've already talked through how grace was thrown throughout the uh, Daniel chapter 4, the life of Nebuchadnezzar. The Apostle Paul, he, this is something that he recognized and realized. You see, the, the Apostle Paul, he had a past in his life where he persecuted the church. He thought he loved God. In reality, he didn't. He hated God. And he was well aware of his past. And this is what he says. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Do not let past failures where pride blinded you to God and his will and his way keep you from seeking God, his will, and his way. Satan would love for you to wallow in your past mistakes. He would love to keep you immobilized from seeking God and the living for God and for others. But see, God also knows that, and so that, that's why he gives you grace. Grace to move forward. Grace that you did not earn. Grace that God gives. The same grace that we can stand upon before God in Judgment Day. So in conclusion, Christ this is not only our great treasure. He's not only our source, source of strength to fight against pride. But Jesus Christ is also our example. Yeah. Let me close with this from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. The Apostle Paul says this about us and about Jesus Christ. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, yeah. if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitudes as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at every name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, amen. Oh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you 
for the many examples in our own personal life, and specifically in Scripture, where people have walked away from you, rejected you, but you showed grace. Where you've called us and placed a new heart, new desire for you within ourselves. Thank you so much for the example of Christ. Thank you so much that he is the treasure above all treasures, more than what this earth can ever give. Lord, help us to press forward and not be blinded by the pride in our own life and our own heart. May we as a church pray for one another, encourage one another as we follow Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.